I'm Al Filreis, and this is Poem Talk at the Writer's House, where I have the pleasure of convening three friends to collaborate on a close but not too close reading of a poem. We'll talk, maybe even disagree a bit, and perhaps open up the verse to a few new possibilities, and we hope gain for a poem that interests us, some new readers and listeners. And I say listeners because Poem Talk poems are available in recordings made by the poets themselves as part of our Pen Sound Archive writing .upen.edu slash pensound. Today, I'm joined here in Philadelphia at the Kelly Writer's House in our Wexler studio by Abdul Hamid Arvas, teacher, scholar, critic, whose focus is early modern literature and culture, comparative histories of sexuality and race, queer theory, cross-cultural encounters, and Islam in the Renaissance and whose current book is tentatively titled Abducted Boys, the Homoerotics of Race and Empire in Early Modernity, which concerns early modern sexuality and race in a global context, and who I am thrilled to say is a colleague here at the University of Pennsylvania. And by Dagmawi Wubchet, scholar of African-American literature and art working at the intersections of African-American, LGBTQIA+, and African Studies, whose 2015 book published by Hopkins is The Calendar of Loss, Race, Sexuality, and Mourning in the Early Era of AIDS, and whose many other publications include the co-edited volume Ethiopia, Literature, Art, and Culture, a special issue of Kalaloo, 2010, and who is also, I'm happy to say, a colleague here at Penn. And by special guests coming not from Penn, but from Rutgers today, Carlos DeSena, an interdisciplinary scholar and writer who is a member of Rutgers University's Department of Latino and Caribbean Studies and the Department of Women's Gender and Sexuality Study, whose publications include the book Tacit Subjects, Belonging and Same-Sex Desire Among Dominican Immigrant Men, and whose new book to be published by Duke in 2023 is titled Circuits of the Sacred, Fagotology in the Black Latinx Caribbean, who spent many years in Philadelphia and indeed at Penn, and who is being warmly, warmly, very warmly welcomed on this very day back to the Kelly Writers House. Carlos, it is a joy to see you. Thank you for making the trip. It's uh, it's great to be home. Yeah, home. I love it. Yeah. Oh, it's a warm, warm, warm welcome. That's fantastic. Thank you. Hamid, good to see you. Good Thanks to see for you, coming Al. down. This is your first poem talk, I hope, of many to come. It is indeed, and I hope so too. Fantastic. Dad, good to see you. Good to see you, Al. Well, today the four of us have gathered here to talk about a poem by John Ashbery. It's called Some Trees and first appeared in a book in 1956, his first book titled Some Trees. But the poem had been written when Ashbery was an undergraduate at Harvard and first published in the Harvard Advocate. It was written during the evening of November 16th, 1948, when the poet was just 21 years old. Penn Sound's John Ashbery page is an extensive collection of hundreds of recordings organized with the blessing of John himself and with fantastic assistance from his spouse, David Kermani. This vast gathering includes two recordings of the poet reading our poem. The one we'll hear now was part of a radio interview conducted by John Tranter and broadcast in Australia and then later recorded and captured uh, here for Penn Sound. And that recording was made in June of 1988. So here now is John Ashbery performing Some Trees. 
Okay, this poem is called Some Trees, and this is, I, I think, well, if not the oldest poem I've kept, at least the second oldest. It was, in fact, written 40 years ago, 1948. Some Trees. These are amazing, each joining a neighbor as though speech were a still performance, arranging by chance to meet as far this morning from the world as agreeing with it. You and I are suddenly what the trees try to tell us we are, that their merely being there means something that soon we may touch, love, explain. And glad not to have invented such comeliness, we are surrounded, a silence already filled with noises, a canvas on which emerges a chorus of smiles, a winter morning. Placed in a puzzling light and moving, our days put on such reticence, these accents seem their own defense. So what could be amazing about trees? I mean, there are probably five or six senses of amazing, but let's try some out. Carlos, what could be amazing about trees? Something about their their girth. Um, amazing as in awesome. That strikes you. It, it reminds me a lot of the sublime in Byron. Um, that sense of this sort of, or even Shelley. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it, a romantic gesture, possibly at the first. Maybe, but it's it it just um, it strikes me. You know, I read this poem in one of your classes, right? Oh, you're just going to say that right from the oh, beginning. Oh yeah, right? I will because <laughs> say for the record, you were his. You were just about the age of the poet when he. You were Probably. actually younger. I was younger when I first read him. Because I think I read him when when I was fifteen. Because I took your your summer um, yeah. class, yeah, and yeah. Um, I was still tra- I was still transitioning to English um, at the time, and um, and it, it it strikes me as um, it, it strikes me that the it's a, it's kind of an editorial comment that that precedes descriptive language. Mm. He opens with. These are amazing, but you don't know what you're looking at. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a, it sets you up in a way to say, well, what exactly is it that you think is so amazing? Perfect. Thank you for starting there. Other sense, Dag, of amazing? Yeah, I was just going to say, even before you get to the trees, I love how inviting that first line is. It is one of the most ordinary ways everybody, whether you're literate, the literati or not, express or use to express astonishment awe. So I love how inviting and ordinary it is, but then that simplicity will flip on you. Syntactically, it's such a simple beginning. Okay. So I like that tension too of that, the simplicity of the opening line, the invitation of the opening line. Fantastic. All right. Hamid, now now soon we realize that the the physical relationship of these trees is complicated. So is there a sense of amazement? The origin of the word amazement has to do with our word maze, confusing, complicated. Is it possible that amazing refers to the complication? And and maybe you can start us on to what the trees are doing. How could trees join a neighbor? What's what's, what's the physical description we're trying to get here? Yeah, I think, I think the first sentence, no matter how simple it is, as Dex said, is also as complex. Especially I'm struck by it starts, starts with these are amazing each 
the movement from the plural this and ending with each, which forces you to move to the next line. But if you don't move to the next line, still, these are amazing. Each. Are they amazing together? Or are they amazing individually? Well, boy, that is the whole point of the poem, Exactly. Isn't it? So this is why I'm moving from the first line to the, yeah. I think, complexities. Mm-hmm. Because at the same time, you don't mm-hmm. even know the speaker is mm-hmm. talking about trees if we didn't know the title. Yeah. <laughs> right? I'm going to guess that there isn't an arborist among the four of us. So let's just bullshit then. As sort of educated non-specialists, trees can join neighbors? What kind of tree and how and under what circumstances are trees actually collaborating either at the root structure or in the branches? My, I was going to I was going to Arborist jump. number one. <laughs> well, so here's the thing. I was thinking about um, good fences make good neighbors that, that like what is the chronology just to kind of get a sense of the chronology because joining a neighbor mm-hmm. is oh the neighbor right it's the neighbor wall. and also the neighbor could be um, joining a neighbor of trees but it's also joining neighboring plots if you will um, mm-hmm. that are separated so I kept thinking that mm. there was a real um, slide in the in the phrasing mm. um the between you know the the anthropomorphic vi- uh, vision of neighbor uh, being a neighbor and the non anthropomorphic the the like this is about trees right this is you are amazing um w- this is great i've never thought of it this way so if frost is making the conservative argument one way or other that that what we use, we use nature and we supplement nature with things like walls in order to keep ourselves separate and apart and subjectively distinct. And we know that John Ashbery is arguing the opposite. He's arguing for convergence. He's arguing for meeting. He's arguing for love. That means connection. And so it begins with a kind of counter argument to mending wall. I just right. love that. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of what that. I was thinking. All right. Hamid, where were you going to go? No, no, that, that's brilliant, Carlos. What what I was thinking, I was imagining where the speaker stands in relation to trees. Are you just looking at them directly on the same level to the trunk, or are you lying down on the ground and looking at branches? If that's so, branches may be neighboring, touching each other as if like presenting this silent, still performance as speech, or implicitly all trees are connected deep down underground through roots. Right, so this is like how I read it: like trees having this relationship with one another, which is still, but there's kind of like noisy that you hear a little bit of sound as if, like a rustle. Yeah, yeah, like branches and roots. Yeah. So now, Dag, suddenly we switch from what seems to be the observation of nature. These trees, the speaker could possibly be alone having one of these reveries, maybe a romantic reverie, and then suddenly we realize. That there's a you and I, there's a you along with the I, and that we've met here by these trees, presumably, so there are humans, presumably. And so, Dag, start us on this this trail from the observation of nature to a relationship that seems to be just forming. Yeah, like that nature-human uh, uh, kinship. What I love about it is... It's the, the couple are corroborated by what they see or reflected by what they see. But there isn't this imposition of a kind of anthropomorphic language to characterize the trees per se. They're not making the trees more human. They're making themselves more tree-like. Absolutely. Or, or 
communion and corroborate, reflection, right. Right. where you see something alive in nature and the way in which it corroborates and reflects other forms of life, yeah. right? That's what I see. Yeah. And I was thinking uh, the speech were still a performance. Um, what if what if that rustling of leaves in that movement, that combination of, of movement with the body of the tree and it's all a, in its multidimensionality was in the poem being made akin to the kind of language that humans use, right? Um, because part of it is about, it seems to me that part of it is about discerning where the communication happens, mm -hmm. but on and in what and on what terms, and this is a non-anthropomorphic. Like the, the, he's not, he ain't making trees into humans. Mm -mm. That's not the project of this poem. It might even be anti-anthropomorphic. Right. In fact, it, it's closer to making humans into trees, if you will, or sort of capturing the 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 work of language. Is in... it possible? I'm sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. Is it possible that what you say? leads us to understanding a certain different, sorry for that bland word, different making or difference-depending relationship of the two who seems to have, seem to have left a place, maybe a city, and come to this place and met by accident at these trees, that the, relation, the quality of this relationship of these two, who are pretty unspecified, depends on that reversal that you're describing. And if so, what is that difference? What, what makes it possibly, I'm sorry to use the word better, but deeper and more meaningful? I, you know, it's funny because even the way that he reads it, I, I don't, um, there's one way of, of thinking, well, this is kind of a bland reading of a bland poem or, or non -bland, a bland reading of a non-bland poem. I actually found his reading very much of the aesthetic of what the poem is trying to do. So I actually appreciated that yeah, he yeah. read it in this very kind of almost monotone. Um, and so this mm. goes to the to the meat of what I want to say regarding in response to you is that um, maybe there is no love in this relationship. Maybe that relationship that's being set up here is not doesn't have that level of depth. Because it seems to me that the, the the deeper relationship would require a different kind of reading and a different kind of lyric, if you will, and that's not Whoa. here. That's not what I what, what I'm reading. Whoa. I'm reading the I'm I'm hearing the cooler, um, and I recall when we were reading this, we were thinking of it very much in relationship to the other school at the time, which was the 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 kind of confessional. The yes, the, this is an anti-confessional. Right. Poem. So there is so that oh. depth. The the way I read this, it's like no the depth. surface. So right. maybe just to turn turn it into a sexuality, uh, or to into desire, mm -hmm. physical desire, is it possible that they have met there, not to have a deep romantic love, Ooh, but I to like have that. sex? I I when I read it, the paranoid queer reader in me said they are meeting in trees for six. It's a yeah. hookup story. It's a cruising yeah. spot. It's a cruising you know, spot. spot. Yeah, here I will I will provide some. Getting nooky in the, in the in <laughs> you'll provide what? Yeah, some 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 lines that that where I am seeing this is happening, and I love non anthropocentric part of it when you and I are suddenly what the trees try to tell us we are. I was struck by what, not who. 
not who we are, but what. And, the and first what is thing, that what? Can you, yeah, I will come you there. dare explain? Okay. <laughs> what they tell is that they are merely being there means something. So the first thing trees are telling is about the trees, not about them. So trees becomes a part of them. Yes. Uh-huh. What? Right? Oh, and my gosh. That soon we may touch. Yes. Yes. First, thing may. first touch. is may. touch. Right. Yeah. And usually Second, love is, right. Love and here love, I don't think right. is love. It's right. fuck. Yeah. yeah. And, and then explain. Explain. Right? And explain so, so here, is like last. That's oh, yeah. not what we're not about. We, we'll yeah. figure that out later. We will. <laughs> but, but here, how to read may. Is it yeah. we can, we are able to, or we are allowed to? So we are allowed to touch, love, explain here in nature. And we may Mm. in that it may be that we may not. Because remember, I mean, if you're thinking, I'm thinking here, this is the the poet sitting in the ramble in Central Park or in Julie Garland Park or in some other... Somewhere at Harvard Yard. Right. Bushy location, right? Um, Figuring out whether, whether that encounter may or may not yeah right the may is really about that the 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 conjunction of desire with the space right uh, so so turning to dag for a second let's try to understand how the hookup occurred i mean in the terms of the weird logic of this um and hamid you look like you're going to add to this too so here we go so arranging by chance to meet first of all that is a hard thing to do Arranged by chance to meet. Or it's a wink, wink, aja. Oh, hap, funny to see you here. Arranging my chance to meet. Where? As far this morning from the world as agreeing with it, which is grammatically weird and New York school and avant-garde. But still, it's saying we know how much we are not part of the world and how far away we have to leave the world in order to f- meet each other. And that. so if I pace off the distance of my difference from the conventional meetup culture at Harvard, let's say, or in Rochester, this may be a reflection of his lonely boyhood. Um, I'll go to that spot and you'll be there because you have the same difference. Hmm. First question, does that make sense? Second, what more do we want to say about this amazing arranging by chance? Yeah, well, so to follow up on that question and the queer reading, it's, you know, it's hard to glean gender from trees. To me, I was just trying to flag these moments of uh, how I read this as a kind of querying. Uh, mm-hmm. And then it's when I get to calmliness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Calmliness, <laughs> delicate beauty, feminine beauty. That's a term. That's such a gendered right. term mm-hmm. that um, it, it, it just it raises my antenna in a, like my queer whatever hat is on. Does because it feel, of that term. Does it sound like pearl clutching? Like it just, uh, the comeliness, like I, I, I read it as, um, I mean, what I, what I think is amazing about the, the arranging by chance is that, of course, you don't arrange by chance, right? So that, that, that don't happen. Yes. Uh, and if it does happen, it's it's the oh funny, fancy that funny you meeting here. you here oh yeah. And it may be that by the time that that funny you you already you know you're already taking a nosedive somewhere in the park, and it just so happens that you know the your fellow professor or your fellow poet shows up. Um, but I what the 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 um, glad not to have invented such comeliness feels to me, and I may be mispronouncing the term here, but the the um, comeliness to me strikes me, uh, it, it strikes me as m- at the mannered um, 
the mannered, the drag of manners we must wear to 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 work our way through the regular world. I mean, it is this is 1948. Mm. Um, I'm also thinking about the time. I'm thinking about code, how much code he's deploying in the poem to say something that he can't really say explicitly. Um, but not about homosexuality itself, but maybe simply about the 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 geographies of queer desire writ large. Mm. Is isn't a definition of cruising spots in fact Aren't they arranged by chance? Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> yeah, that's actually yeah, a very yeah. succinct and apt yeah. definition. Yeah, yeah. and right. usually happening under trees in nature. There we right. go. Right, and and I, I I like how how the sentence starting with arranging by chance to meet as far this morning from the world as agreeing with it and all you called it like weird. I would call it a queer yeah structure starting. Yeah. It's not a straight yeah. structure, right? Queering conventional idiomatic English by using the two as comparisons. Right, exactly. Right? As and far this morning from as, right? So he's doubled the comparison and he's created a negativity. I mean, he's yeah. saying basically, yeah. we don't agree with the world. I am running away from the world as far as to the extent that I don't agree with it. Yeah, but still I'm a part agree, of it. Or it can't agree with me. Yeah, that's a different question. I think you are posing this line as like structurally comes at kind of a, yeah. not totally inverted, but queer in a sense, it's not straight, makes us think you and I in the realm of straightness and in the realm of, sorry, queerness and queer language. It's a kind of code. I just, I think that that's the kind of the, to me, it suggests that when you stumble, depending on how your ear is is structured, like the mo- the movement um, through these, you know, weird setups, right? Depends on, you could, you could say, uh, arranging by chance to meet as far this morning from the, oh, you could just read them by, um, verse by verse. And of course they're going to sound different, but it's what, what seems to be going on here is there is some trees, right? It's the, it's the, whatever you have in front of you, um, plus the layers of, um, Weirdness, queerness. I mean, it's really set up mm. for you to kind of catch that there is something else going on and that perhaps it's really the quote-unquote awkwardness that hints at um, this other narrative or set of narratives that could be permeating this. Some of it is about cruising, but that still keeps it mm. at the human level, right? <gasps> it could be about the trees. It's mm. the language of the tree. I mean, we have mm. all that together. I want to think about cruising in distinction from or in relation to merely being there because the trees right. can't cruise. They are rooted. Right. And so you go to the trees and you say, damn, that's amazing that they get to stay here. They don't have to cruise. The trees don't cruise. They have a, they have, there's a whole lot of neighboring going on among right. the trees. In fact, I think if we understood the sexuality of trees, which none of the four of us do, we didn't do our homework, um, there's probably a whole lot of sex, se- reproduction that goes on without having to cruise because they just, Trees don't have that option. And there is, insofar as that line is sincere and unironic, these two who've met are kind of momentarily jealous that the trees are already there and that means something. Mm-hmm. That, the, that they're merely being there means something. What do you think of all that? I was thinking a lot about that um, earlier when... As I as I was you know uh, coming here, and and thinking about the way he reads it, um, there is a question about being, um, and this is something I think about a lot. The question in in Spanish there is a split. The verb to be is split into two 
there is a ser, which is the ontological being, and there is estar, which is to be somewhere. Right? Um, and there is something there that where the verse reads that they're merely being there means something. It's as if that that location um, it's, it, it is ontologically significant, not just to the tree, but to the two who find themselves in front of the trees. Um, and what I mean is this, that there is a lot of the, um, if we think of this as potentially a, you know, closeted, semi-closeted, whatever um, um, sort of poem, young poet, um, the resort of the park, the bushes, et cetera, et cetera, becomes a space of possibility for a kind of ontology that does not exist outside because the ontology outside is all about the, the, um, the absence of the trees, if you will. That it's in the being there next to the tree, potentially being touched, loved, or whatever, that a, a certain sense of being can be realized, um, a being there, if you will. That is about nature because it's also like, you know, do trees, is he signifying on trees? Is he talking about what is natural mm -hmm. and what is natural in this context is is about a, sort of a, a libidinal freedom that is not available, that is unavailable in other spaces where that ontology presents itself. As, that's really you know. great. There's another reversal that's going on here then, which is... I'm writing a poem, and it's a lyric poem, and, and if you just stand about 100 feet away from it, it's a fairly, it's, it's new in its use of idiomatics, non-traditional idiomatic, but it's a, it's a lyric poem. It's a lyric poem. If you get closer to it, you see the things that we've been talking about. But then there is this anti-poetic line that we, instead of being happy to have invented beauty in a poem, we are both glad not to have invented this beauty that we've come upon. Usually it's the other way around. Why would they be glad not to invent it is the key metapoetic word I'm thinking of. Here. But again, I see, this is the thing. I don't know if such calmliness refers to being in the company of these trees, if it because it follows immediately we or may of touch. Other, right? Yeah, or of oh, each other, yeah. right? And I don't know. Again, I, I think of a certain kind of generationally, right? Like how you communicate or express desire, queer desire, discreetly. It may be a gesture. It may be a, a glance. And not to have invented it's that, to be relieved. To by your colleagues in this sub-society. Right. Yeah, almost definitely. Now, I can use that, and that is, I don't have to invent this thing. I don't have to invent it. Because it's been done before. Other people have met by these trees before. Absolutely. And, and I cannot stop hearing come in comeliness. <laughs> if, if we are really querying okay, that, well, for sure. Right. And I also think suddenly, <laughs> suddenly <laughs> too. Yeah, um, I've hmm. been puzzling about it. suddenly for years. You and I are suddenly what the trees try to tell us we are. The trees are saying, you know, we just we just hang out here all the time. That's what we do. Say the trees to the. It's almost like a Dr. Seuss, a queer Dr. Seuss story. But you know We're the here. other thing. But the other thing that I was thinking about, in, la in light of what Dad just said, um, and there's this sort of commentary around this, and the, and the comely, like I was initially thinking of the comeliness more in in a kind of hegemonic guise, like this is what we pretend. Mm -hmm. Except that here, um, I'm thinking in light of the conversation, the drift in the conversation. There's an Essex Hemphill poem where he talks about 
how we know the languages of our tribe. And I and he and he goes on about it's not the national anthem, it's not this, it's not that, but there is a kind of knowing in desire that is that is um that is passed on through these sites. Like and the other thing oh, that you I'm go thinking, to, let me pause you. You go to the site in order to gather the knowledge that has right. preceded you. You're not just and you fucking, don't have to you're, invent. You're kind of participating in a kind of generational handoff, if you will, yeah. because that's actually part of what 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 queer folk do when 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 we gather, um, be it to be it to mess around or to 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 jump around or or, or to go pride is pass on these forms of knowledge. Some of this is to me. Um, also very reminiscent of Sam Delaney when he talks about, um, you know, the first time that he went to a bathhouse and um, realizing that um, as a, you know, black gay man growing up um, um, in the 1950s, he used to think of himself as sort of an isolated pervert. But then there were these moments when um, even in a police uh, raid, in some of these parks and um, the piers or wherever people were, when he when he saw how many men were like running away from the cops, that uh, sort of helped him sense that 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 connectivity, uh, that form of community that is not um, it's not about a flag or whatever. It's about this sort of community and desire, and so much of the the movement work has been about building on something that is not about desire and what you can locate by being near the tree, right? I was just going to say, there's no prime, like in 1948, there's no primer. There's no porn to look at. Right. There's no kind of, you know. There's there's not even everything you always wanted to know about sex. Not even that. And just to to your point, it is true. It's uh, these sites have been so crucial in terms of one's own initiation also what to do one can harbor desire queer desire right but in terms of how to articulate it how to express it what sex entails these are things we also pick up by watching other people you know doing right if we make this if we think of this as a harvard poem because it was at harvard it was published talk about coded it was published in the harvard advocate which had been which was a pretty straight group, but it was also going back to the 1890s when George Santayana was like the faculty advisor. It was a kind of place to go to meet other queer people. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's writing this poem at Harvard. He's also saying, I got to get the hell out of Harvard in a way. I mean, there is a biographical reading possible. I'm sorry, I'm not familiar with the biographies, but I assume that's what's going on here. Can we deal with the last two lines? Um they strike me because of the, the last line strikes me as a metapoetic reference to these very accents, these things I'm writing on this page. Our days put on such reticence. And he, he was, John Ashbery, whom I knew a little bit, a reticent person, shy and really shy about it for, for decades, you know. Um, Our days put on such reticence, these accents seem their own defense. I mean, what do you do with that? Get us started. <laughs> Sorry, I threw that to you. That that is, I think, one of the hardest lines in in this poem. And they are truly, when combined, they are puzzling. And puzzling is a word there. I think that is a signal for us to think about it as a puzzle. But you know, as an as an early modernist, when I read that line, when I I also read accents as lines, 
and and about this is a line about writing lines in their own defense immediately reminded me of Sir Philip Sidney's you know mm. defense of poesy. And oh, that's absolutely. probably that's what that is. not surprising that, Carlos, you started the first line, reminded you, Percy by Shelley, that, who also wrote a kind of defense of poetry. Right. So in that sense, right. uh, this poem suddenly becomes aligned in a romantic tradition that, that kind of like looking at the nature and, and, you, and, and mediating about human existence. And this becomes a defense of poetry itself that these lines will speak in reticence. Mm. And, yes. and 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 then and then this poem will speak for itself in a way and ending up making poetry more beautiful than nature <laughs> you really right? did that can we just pause for a second and say I mean, where have you been all my life? I mean, that's such a real, that was such a really, really amazing thing that you just said. There's literary history in it. Yeah. Dag, you were going to say something. Yeah, I was just following up on, on Hamid's point where exactly that enigmatic line, um, it, it reprised a lot of the tent, like what we think of uh, things that are ostensibly opposites, speech and still performance, silenced, filled with noises, a chorus of smiles, right? Uh, so to come back to that line, these accents, accents I was thinking of, this is such a poem about speech, but that's reticent, or so how one, not a kind of accent in a sense like a mark, a critical mark, but modulation of voice, kind of timbre, pitch, how we communicate via accent. Uh, uh, so I like how that word picks up on this tension that's been building up throughout the poem, and then the, and then also that last line. I thought it's like, it's truth value is in its declaration, right? Like it, these accents seem their own defense. There's a way in which, Al, as you said, there's something meta about it. There's something self-reflexive about the whole poem, and that line seems to encapsulate via declaring it, right? encapsulates the poem's value or truth value. I don't want to use yeah. essence. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's really great. I mean, I, I, I think 1948 is, and, and he's an English major at Harvard. This was the heyday, the first heyday of the new criticism. And, and the buzzword, and he was taking all these courses from these old historicists, and then the younger people, the more attractive people would be the new critics because they were against the old historicists. And the buzzword was autotelic. Poems can be their own worlds. They don't refer to that those trees over there at the end of Harvard Yard. They don't refer to your boyhood in Rochester, your lonely boyhood. They refer to the, the, themselves. And he's using that to create a really great poem, a poem that's very memorable about an experience that would not be typical of any of those new critics who were really trying to hide from the world politically and ethically and otherwise. So these accents seem their own defense as a way of turning that around and saying, I can make this difference into a piece of beauty written in words and you can have what you want from it. I'd like to do two things as we wrap up the conversation. One is to go all the way around, all four of us, a lightning round, saying anything at all about the use of pronouns uh, in this poem. So there's a lot of pronouns going on. Just anything at all, just to orient those who are listening. We've been talking about it, but to be a little more specific. 
And then I'd like to invite us each to offer a final thought, something that you wanted to say today, but you haven't had a chance to yet because the conversation didn't go that way. Okay. Pronouns. Who wants to start? I mean, pronouns? Nope. Dag? Well, I like, we begin with, these are amazing, right? The kind of um, demonstrative pronouns, and then we return to these accents. And I think that juxtaposition is what's amazing than the poem, right? Like if we were just to collapse what comes between and then just juxtapose how these appears at yeah, the yeah, first yeah. line and the very yeah. last line. Yeah. It seems to me that I'm holding up a piece of paper, let it be stipulated, and I'm, I'm drawing some accents. I'm drawing lines. It's a, it's a little bit painterly. There's a lot of painterly stuff going on there. So we end with these accents seem in their own defense. And what this wind up, winds up doing is justifying writing, justifying poetic writing, poetic speech, as a way of approximating the, um, the, the sudden lift, the excitement, the sort of unconventional sudden feeling that one has. And that's the thing that creates the poem and the poem preserves that suddenness. And it goes, it starts with something that's amazing and ends with something that's an accent. So when somebody says, I had this experience and I wrote a poem about it, all that's left later is of course the poem and they will have to serve as their own defense. So I think the parallel these really does that. Now, I interrupted. It was supposed to be a lightning round. I wound up saying something a lot. So, I mean, No, that's, that's beautiful. I'll, I mean, that made me then go back and rethink you and I. Who is you? Like, is it, is it possible that's a reader? And the narrator is telling us the relationship he's between... He's telling us where to meet. You and he's, left, he's yeah. left the poem as if in uh-huh. a bottle. All these years later, John Ashbery, who came out sort of to his friends, and he's saying, yeah. you want me? You know well, where I'll to see find you all. me. I'm going to Cambridge right now. <laughs> find some trees. You, it's like a treasure hunt. We know where he is now. I, you. I, I love that you. So that reading of you, just to be really specific, is possibly us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I actually find the us, the we, really interesting here. Um, because it, it, um, it appears a few times, um, but it, it can refer to you and I, but clearly... As you said, um, the the you can be a triangulation with the reader. So it's a you who might be a um, a love object, if you will, or a lust object, or whatever, um, and and potentially the the love object or the object of desire could be the reader, you and I, right? Because it's a this is kind of a stranger intimacy kind of um, setup, right? The poet is developing this sense of intimacy with the reader, um, the poetic voice. So it may be that the poem is actually cruising. The reader, but the we because it's um, um, it could be that you and I, whatever that you is, right? So it could be more you, but that you is clearly um, multiple yous, and so there is something there about uh, you know holding multitudes, if you will. In that a favorite you. topic of yours, oh, by yeah. the way. I've, <laughs> yep. I just read your book, and it's all in there. Okay, my lightning round, then we'll do final thoughts. Um, I want to compare the we in We Are Surrounded to the hour in our days. So we are surrounded, I think, is the you and I, the two of them. Let's stipulate for a second that the you is not the reader, but someone that the I has met. 
uh, there at this spot, this special spot. So we are surrounded is a kind of a, it's elation, it's ecstasy, it's that sudden, you know, we're surrounded by nature, we're surrounded by each other, part of the comeliness. But then our days, I think, broadens out to a more general, not all the way to our days, the entire era of the late 40s, everyone, but to those who are in the prospective community that's being invited to come out and try the trees, right? So our days is addressed to the community, which fits with the metapoetic reading of the end, which is to say, we are going to start making poems like this. And so we invite you, and this is what our days are like, reticent or not. So I like the move from a specific we of this couple presumably loving or having sex to our in our days. And it could be days, more than two, you know. And it could be more than two, and don't forget the trees. Right. And mm. I, I love that. Oh, and especially our days, not like all human community, but still, if we continue with the queerness, what if it's just a queer life puts on such reticence, yeah, such yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. silence that poetry is yes. its defense. Mm. Let it right. speak the unspeakable to poetry. Right. Mm. Love that there's not speak its name, speaks yes. it yes. in poetry. Right. Fantastic. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I, I think that... Um, our day, if days is like epoch, era, time, this is our time, and I think I have a roadmap, and, and how it's about, not conventional. How about thinking about accents as in not just um, traces, but also ways of speaking, code? Again, these accents, totally. oh, yeah. Yeah. these accents, it's like these are ways of, of moving through the world uh, with language. Final thoughts. So each of us gets a final thought, something you wanted to say but didn't have a chance to yet. Well, I can start. Uh, first time I read this was last night, the poem. And I must say when reading it closely for the first time, it being about three and me being a Shakespearean, I couldn't kind of like stop going back to Shakespeare. That reminds me, as you like it, you know, the stupid lover Orlando writes poetry on trees and write sonnets and hang them on trees, kind of like speaking his love to Rosalind, whereas Rosalind is cross-dressed as a beautiful boy in the forest of Ardennes that he cannot even see his lover, but he pretends loving poetry and carving Rosalind's name on trees. I'm like, this poem is almost saying, how stupid you are, Orlando. You have to be united with trees. You have to learn from trees, not project your love that obviously you don't even know of true love, which you do not even recognize the person, that let me show you, Orlando, how you can contemplate about love through nature and learn from nature. So this is my final thought about this poem. Love that. Uh, can you turn that into an essay? Because I think if, all you have to do is find out what courses he took that semester. I'm sure Shakespeare is in there. He knew his Shakespeare anyway. Yeah. But that's such a great response oh, to Shakespeare. Thank you. Thank you all. Yeah. Dag, final thought? All right. So I was thinking a canvas on which emerges that turn. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not a, I don't know Ashbery's poetry all too well, but I know his two passions are visual art, the criticism he did, and poetry. And this is his earliest poem. Actually, the earliest poem, he made a mistake. The earliest poem is called The Painter. The Painter, yes. So wow. that these two loves and passions are there. Uh, in that work, and it, you know, when I see a canvas on which emerges, is it about to pivot into a kind of ecrastic poem? Like, what's emerging? Are we all of a sudden looking at a canvas, right? So I love the uh, ambivalence 
of of that of that of, of that word. And then I'm gonna say two things. I'm sorry, Al. Uh, the the <laughs> you're breaking the rules. Okay, I'm, okay, I'll stop. No, okay, no, okay. I'm being silly. Uh, all right, say what you so want. So this is the thing. So hearing him read it uh, in a kind of flat way, you know, because it's a rhymed poem. But the way he uses, you hear the enchantment so clearly when he reads it. So that almost reads like free verse. But I had to, it's here because I was, I wanted to read it where I'm emphasizing that, you know, the rhyme scheme. But then hearing him freed me up and give love to the enchantment and how the yeah, sentence. Right. He's yeah. all about, he's all about enjambment. Yes, yes, I yes, dare beautiful. you to hear this as a poem. Yes. That's what he's always saying. Yes. Yeah. Carlos, uh, final thought? I'm going to ask you a question. Did you ever read this in class when you were teaching it? Yeah. Because I recall... Because we didn't have access to the recordings. Right, because I recall, I recall you reading poems a little bit like this. And when I heard Ashbery, the, I, I knew the poem. I was familiar with the poem. But I, when I heard him, I actually thought of Al, the way you... And, and it may have been that you read Ashbery in um, a little bit in the style. Um, one of the things that really struck me about even the conversation that unfolded here is that I don't think I would have gone in to do to to kind of quote unquote execute that this particular kind of reading without without the the partnership that we develop here, partly because I've always been stumped with Ashbury with 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 his reticence. Mm. Um, that's always been you a being problem. not a very reticent person, right? Right, day. like being the exact opposite. I remember you did say one time that I flew out of the closet, didn't come out. Um, well, I heard that you 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 go around saying things about me. It comes back to me. Um, Wait, I said that to someone else. Yes, you did many many years ago. Uh, and uh, I, Gosh. somebody said to me, "Yeah, Al said uh, Al said that you didn't uh, didn't come out. You flew out of the closet." I'm like, like that's did, about right." Did you? So it's okay that I said that. Oh yeah, it's okay. okay. It's totally okay, okay because I drove everybody I insane. No, no, no. I remember I I drove everybody insane when I came out because I I was sort of very adamant. You remember this? Um, so the blonde wig and the modern and contemporary American poetry stuff. And you remember that? Anyway, um, so. What I what I find is that the the aesthetic here and the posture of the poetic voice, um, and and it may be that of course they varied throughout his career, but I was always um, I've always really struggled with him going into his work precisely because there's so much in the work that's being held. It, it, it's a bit. Um, that sense, what he talks about, we are surrounded, and so whatever joy you get out of Ashbury. It's, it is about finding these places of apparent um, sloppiness that's not sloppiness at all, that's intentional, that's about a kind of twerk in the path, if you will, um, to get through the reticence. Um, because otherwise, he, doesn't, he really doesn't give you a lot. Mm. He doesn't give you a lot emotionally. Um, he wants you to do all this other work. He wants that you he to do the work. And, of right. course, you are totally willing to do the work, and that, that works out. It's a good arrangement. Well, we like to end Poem Talk with a minute or two of Gathering Paradise, which is a chance for all of us, if you're quick, to gather a little something really poetically good to hail or commend someone or something going on in the poetry world or the music world or the fiction world or the film world. 
So who wants to gather some paradise? This is a recommendation. I can start. Um, I want to... Um I'm very, I'm very much looking forward to reading uh, Ocean Vuong's new book, uh, Time is a Mother, and partly because um, I think he's a national treasure. And um, Say that again. There is something about his... I, I listened to him in uh, Krista Tippett's On Being show. He, um, he did a, a duo with her right at the beginning of the pandemic. And I remember being completely undone by the way Ocean approaches uh, writing, the way he thinks about writing, and the way he um, thinks about vulnerability. Um, there is just something in, in the work that I find really, really compelling. Like he lets you in in a way that's very unusual for a writer. So I'm really looking forward to um, being a hot mess reading Ocean Vuong because that's actually what happens to me mm. when I read people like that. Mm. Great recommendation. Thank I you. actually brought the same. I, Ocean Vuong, really? Time is a Mother. Amazing. Yeah. And I heard um, an interview, I think it was last week or week before, and he was on Terry Gross. And I found myself crying yeah. just listening to I just to couldn't him. stop. Yeah. I can't uh, stop crying when I listen to him. And three days later, I ran into him in the neighborhood. He was coming with a friend for coffee, and I was a total fanboy. I was like, are you Ocean Vaughn? I love your work. I think you are a light in this world. Yeah. Keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. yeah. A double recommendation. We haven't had that happen. And we did not talk and you before, y'all. before. And okay. it is right here. Yep. You yep. got it. Yep. Proof. <laughs> Very good. Okay. Well, Meet. when when I thought what I can bring, I tried to think what I have on my desk to read. And unfortunately, none of them are about contemporary or modern literature, but all Renaissance. So, But I thought I can recommend something from Renaissance poetry that can kind of bring the question what Renaissance poetry teaches us about our problems today. So uh, I would like to recommend the most recent issue of the Journal of Spencer Studies, which is on Spencer and race, uh, edited by Dennis Britton and Kim Coles. So it really uh, brings us, you know, Spencer's writing, uh, multiple chapters on Fairy Queen, as much as I can tell, about thinking about anti-black racism and its origins in, in, in Spencer's literature, how English poetry is contributing to, to race-making uh, projects. So that will be my recommendation, I guess. Excellent. And you're referring to the period in which you work makes me want to ask extracurricularly, you know, what it was like to be told, come on, let's talk about a, you know, modern poem. No, <laughs> no hesitation, no anxiety. Uh, read it last night. You clearly didn't prepare. No, <laughs> no both, both hesitation and anxiety was there, but mm -hmm. with such an excellent company, I'm like, I'll take the risk. So thank you for inviting me, Al. And now you'll come back. I sometime. will. Okay, great. That's great. Um, my Gathering Paradise. I am sitting, uh, to my left is Paradise, Carlos DeSena, whose second book is coming out from Duke University Press in early 2023. I guess we should just say spring 2023. It's called Circuits of the Sacred. You'll remember it from my introduction at the beginning, Phagatology in the Black Latinx Caribbean. Um, I have now read it twice. I think I read it in an earlier version and then another one that Carlos sent me, I guess, this past summer. I'm very excited about it. It's fantastic work. It's multi-genre. It's, it's sort of deliberately all over, over the place. And I wondered if I could cede my time and ask you to read just a couple of paragraphs from it for us. Would you? Mm, yes. Thank you. Um, 
and I just happened to have it right in front of me. <laughs> Um, Arranging by chance to meet. <laughs> so part of it, <laughs> Exactly. So that we may know who we are. Um, so I'll read from a section that's right at the beginning of the book where I'm actually play, um, paying tribute to the ancestors, but I'm um, in ritual fashion. You start a ceremony by paying tribute to the ancestors and asking for their blessing. But in the book, I actually talk about the queer child that I was as an ancestor, so as, a, as an ancestral figure, and pay respects to that queer child. Um, so there's a lot of um, dissociative thinking and uh, praxis throughout the book where I kind of split myself into different um, uh, pronouns and whatnot. I'm talking, I may be talking about myself, but I use things like, um, I may use the I, but I may talk about you, or I may talk about the scholar. So... This is really about growing up in my working-class neighborhood in Santo Domingo, so I'll just read um, a little bit uh, from that. I visited with some friends, especially after joining the Boy Scouts and getting to know more community children, but for the most part, I went out uh, to run errands for my mother, who sensed the danger of sending me out for too long and instructed me on how best to go from home to the colmado, the bodega, to school and back. No te partas. Literally, don't break figuratively act like a man. She couldn't have said it like that. Partirse, to break, must have been an expression I picked up coming and going from Doña Aurora's bodega. Maybe I picked it up from my cousins, or maybe the expression was floated loudly enough by one of the neighborhood tigres, who, so I would hear as I walked while the person pretended to be talking to themselves, a master class in Dominican indirection with the crushing brutality of banal heteronormativity. Por aquí hay muchos muchachitos que se parten. There are a lot of swishy little boys around here. You know this comment is about you, but the person just opens their mouth to release its venom into the air. And if you turn, and if you twitch, and if your body registers its impact, then the statement and its sequela stay with you. A scarlet M burned into your aura, corralling you into a designation. Maricón, that's you. And the tigre or the doña did not even have to use the word. To turn Franz Fanon's phrase that, quote, to speak is to exist absolutely for the other, unquote, towards what I describe, the disciplinary power of indirection resides in how it sanctions class, race, and gender normativity in the overall texture of the social resulting in structural conditions that legitimize not breaking while rendering vulnerable or punishing femininity cast oh, as always imminent vulnerability. Indirect speech acts cement asymmetrical force fields that all bodies navigate, that all bodies have to navigate. Thus, such acts might be released into the air as warnings to be metabolized unevenly by all bodies within spitting distance from their source. Mommy was concerned about how I moved, but she would have said, No camines así, camina bien, don't walk like that, walk correctly. This may have been where her love for me held her back from decreeing that my boy's frame did not and could not signify man. But she figured out ways to signal her disapproval of my attempts with a scowl punctuating by denying me access to her eyes. 
no te partas. As if memory was a membrane, no te partas is tattooed in the recollection of who I was. A remembrance of that queer child brings me back to Fanon's discussion of racial structuration, with a twist drawn out from heteronormativity and gender descent in an already black and working class setting. A slow construction, and I'm quoting Fanon here, a slow construction of myself as a body in a spatial and temporal world, such seems to be the schema. It is not imposed on me, it is rather a definitive structuring of myself and the world, definitive because it carries, it creates a genuine dialectic between my body and the world, unquote. The guiding hands and words of my parents could only take me so far, since it was my central task to discern accurately the topographies of my surroundings, a structuration of the body I was to approximate and for which I ingested as codes, interdictions, enclosures, a whole grammar for being and moving in my world. Thank you, Carlos. That's amazing. And it's such a brilliant, that passage. So I sort of requested that passage and then you found a good way to, lead, inco- into yeah, to lead into it. And it's such a great um, explanation of form, intentions of indirection. It's really amazing. The book, thank you. The book is, thank you, the book is coming out from Duke and it's called Circuits of the Sacred Phagatology in the Black Latinx Caribbean. Well, that's all the touching, loving, and explaining we have time for on Poem Talk today. <laughs> Poem Talk at the Writer's House is a collaboration of the Center for Programs in Contemporary Writing and the Kelly Writer's House at the University of Pennsylvania and the Poetry Foundation, poetryfoundation.org. Thanks so much to my guests, Hamid Arvas, Dag Wupchet and Carlos DeSena and to Poem Talk's director and engineer today, Zach Cardner and to Poem Talk's editor the same, amazing, amazing is a significant word today, Zach Cardner next time on Poem Talk I'll be joined by Eric Falchi visiting us from Berkeley along with Julia Block and Charles Bernstein to talk with me about two poems by Maggie O'Sullivan from her amazing book, another amazing In the House of the Shaman This is Al Filris, and I hope you'll join us next month for that or another episode of Poem Talk.